With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Hangout in the Holy Land, Langer and Holyland's flagship podcast. I am your host, Gene Ross, and joining me, as always, is Josh Julia. And Josh, uh, before we get into, you know, Ohio State's prospects in the NFL draft and the way that things went down for them over this past weekend, uh, we can kind of quickly riff on our team's uh, respective NFL drafts, you a Bengals fan and me a Giants fan. How did you feel the uh, things went for the Bengals in this year's NFL draft? Yeah, so I thought they did fine. I, I think that they drafted for need and they drafted for depth and I, I think they got fair value they may have reached for the uh, North Dakota State guard but he played a lot of tackle he could be great on the inside when I look at the Bengals draft I, I don't I never expected it to be a sexy draft if that makes sense um, and I, I don't want to come across as this huge homer or say that the Bengals don't have any holes but their depth chart is pretty set or was pretty set um, looking for a guard, maybe a cornerback, but picking where they were. Uh, I, I certainly didn't expect them to go out and get a day one starter unless Tyler Linderbaum fell. Uh, I really wanted him. He went 25 to the Ravens. I thought he could have stepped in at center right away. But other than that, you know, I think they got some guys and they, they targeted the secondary pretty heavily and they're going to lose some guys potentially after this coming season, basically Von Bell, uh, Jesse Bates and Eli Apple are all playing on one year contracts. So they went after two safeties. They picked up a corner and they really targeted um, kind of like variety and versatility. All of the DBs can play a nickel position. They can, uh, you know, uh, Cameron Britt or Taylor Britt, I'm sorry. Uh, is a corner. The two safeties can play free safety. They can play more in the box. The defensive lineman they picked up could play three or five techniques. So, you know, fortunately, I think that they drafted in the way or the manner that a Super Bowl team should. You know, they drafted for depth. They didn't have a lot of holes. So I'm content with it, uh, even though I probably would have preferred a different guy at, at a bunch of other picks. I thought N'Kobe Dean in the second, you got to go and get him, even if the Bengals don't have a huge need at linebacker. And I would have loved Jeremy Ruckert in the third and so on and so forth. But they got guys who I think are going to contribute in one way or another this season, even if it's on special teams. So all in all, I thought the draft was decent for the Bengals and uh, probably not as good as the Giants, though. I think your team really knocked it out of the park, especially early. 
Yeah, and I'm sure more people that listen to this podcast are interested uh, with the Bengals than they are with the Giants. But to keep it brief, you know, obviously first draft coming off the Dave Gettleman era, I think the new front office did quite well. I really like Kayvon Thibodeau. I personally thought he was, you know, potentially a better prospect than Aiden Hutchinson, and that might just be my my hatred for Michigan and everything they have that they produce. But I really like Kayvon Thibodeau, and then they also went out and got one of the, you know, the three elite offensive tackles in the draft, as well as a, a playmaker like Wandale Robinson that we saw previously in Nebraska, finished his career at Kentucky. But three really good guys and they got a couple other different pieces along the way. So really good draft for, for the Giants this year. Hopefully it all pans out. But the Giants were not really the big uh, New York story in this year's draft, and it was actually the New York Jets who... I think for the last couple of years now have put together some really solid drafts, but they, they kicked off our Ohio State draftees this year with selecting Garrett Wilson as the number 10 overall pick in the draft, the number two wide receiver off the board after Drake London was selected. Um, I really like this fit for Garrett Wilson. I think he's likely uh, the top wide receiver in that room, or at worst, a 1B with Corey Davis. Um, they also have Elijah Moore, Denzel Mims, and Braxton Berrios. So a couple other you know mix and, max, mix and match pieces, but I think Garrett Wilson will quickly be their, their favorite target there. You know, you have a young quarterback in Zach Wilson. You have a guy in, in Garrett Wilson who excelled at getting open at the college level, and if you could bring that that kind of stardom to, to the Big Apple, I think that the Giant, the, the Jets, I'm sorry, got a, got a really good pick on their hands, and, and I, what I thought was an one wide receiver in this draft. I agree. And when we la- when we did our last podcast, I had sort of like mocked him eighth to the Falcons. So I was a bit surprised that they went with Drake London. I guess they're going all power forwards. But as far as the Jets and Wilson are concerned, I, I-, I love the pick. I think that their team right now, if you look at the wide receiver depth chart, Elijah Moore is kind of a, a smaller playmaker. Uh, definitely a slot guy, in my opinion. Corey Davis is more of a bigger possession receiver. And I think Garrett Wilson is literally and figuratively your catch-all, right? I think he can do a little bit of everything. I think he's going to be a dynamic weapon for the Jets. My only concern is the quarterback. I'm not sold on Zach Wilson. They've definitely surrounded him with weapons. They also went and got Brees Hall. Uh, later in the draft as a running back to go with Michael Carter, who they picked up last year. So a bunch of weapons there in, uh, in New York, but it's all going to be dependent upon the quarterback play and whether or not Zach Wilson can get the ball to all these guys. But I do think that Garrett Wilson will be the 1A or 1B guy. He's going to share targets with those other guys, but they've got the makings of a nice offense there. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, being from New York and having a bunch of friends who are Jet fans, I watched probably more of, of Zach Wilson in the NFL than I would have liked to. And I think he got, you know, better and better as the year went on. And hopefully coming into year two, he continued to develop, especially with these added weapons they, they've picked up in these last few years. But I think in terms of Garrett Wilson, you know, I, I think it's really a perfect spot because if there was any guy who could immediately come into a spot like New York, immediately handle the bright lights, it is Garrett Wilson. We saw him kind of do the same thing out of the gate at Ohio State. He came in as, as a five-star prospect with really high expectations. And he excelled in every way. And while he wasn't expected to be Ohio State's number one target right away, I think that he very easily could have been if they had, you know, given him that opportunity and put him into that spot. I think he wouldn't have had any issues with it. So I really like the fit. I'm really hoping for him, even though, you know, I'm a Giants fan. I'm not rooting for the Jets, but I will obviously root for Garrett Wilson. Hopefully that things work out well there. I guess it's kind of funny with the Wilson and Wilson connection. But I think overall, you know, the Jets had a really good draft. We'll talk about another Buckeye they picked up later on in this podcast. But like you said, they got Brees Hall to add to that offense. They also picked up Sauce Gardner, who I thought was the top cornerback in the draft to help out with that defense. So, you know, I think the Jets are putting together a pretty solid team. They're a team that's probably been, you know, one of the laughing stocks of the NFL in recent years. And I think that now they're really under a new regime with a new head coach and new guys in the front office, I think that they're really putting together a good team and maybe Garrett Wilson can start to be the, the face of a franchise that's turning things around. I agree. I think that I, if I had to grade them, I would give the Jets an A. I think that Joe Douglas, their general manager, did a really good job and he had previously kind of gone after a lot of the interior guys, hit the lines of scrimmage in addition to Zach Wilson. But in this draft, three first rounders, they got the kid out of Florida State late in the first who was projected to go like in the top 10, top 15. So they're, they're really doing some things. And at, at the very least, I think Garrett Wilson will make life easier for his young quarterback. And I like his demeanor too. You know, he was a hyped prospect. He, he did everything that was asked of him at Ohio State. He's a, a sort of a flashy guy. You saw him on the red carpet, but he comes across as very humble, as a very hard worker. So I think he's going to do all the right things and eventually find success uh, in the Big Apple. 
Yeah, and, and we didn't have to wait very long to, to hear his counterpart's name called in this year's NFL draft with Chris Olave being taken by the Saints with the very next pick, the number 11 overall pick. The Saints actually traded up to get Olave, which I thought was a bit of a surprise, you know, to see a team trade up for Chris Olave. But I think that we were starting to see very obviously a, a run on wide receiver talent, and the Saints wanted to make sure they got their guy. It's obviously going to be very cool to get to see him and Michael Thomas working side by side in that offense, two former Ohio State receivers. I think that, you know, with whereas. Wilson will be wide receiver one on his team. I, I think Olave is clearly wide receiver two behind Michael Thomas, but we've seen Michael Thomas have a bunch of injury issues lately. So if Thomas has to miss a few games, I think Olave could step into that number one receiver role. Um, we know that the Saints are a team full of Buckeyes. Uh, we know about Marshawn Lattimore, him being one of the top corners in the league. Pete Werner was was quietly a productive starter for them last season at linebacker. And I think on top of that, you know, Jameis Winston, before his injury last year, was quietly really good. And I know that he had that mm-hmm. offseason LASIK surgery to, to kind of fix his eyesight. And after that, he was really stellar. He had 14 touchdowns to just three picks at the start of that year before getting hurt. So I, I think that having two weapons like Michael Thomas and Chris Olave out there catching passes with whoever else they throw in the slot will we'll make the Saints offense really good, especially because then you have uh, Alvin Kamara in the backfield. I, I think that the Saints have a really good offense, and I don't know what their defense is looking like. I'm not going to pretend to know everything about the Saints, but I really like what they're putting together, and obviously a team full of Buckeyes is, is fine by me. I think the Saints are a good squad. I think their defense is really good. They've got a bunch of guys coming back. You know, Up front on the offensive side, they lost Ron Armstead, but they took another tackle in this draft. Olave to the Saints was mocked and projected a ton prior to last Thursday because, you know, in my opinion and the opinion of others, it is such a perfect fit. You know, he is a veteran wide receiver. He had a number of successful years at Ohio State, so he should be able to step in right away and hopefully catch up to the speed of the NFL game. But to your point, he has a guy to learn from. He has a guy that uh, will likely mentor him in Mike Thomas, who's coming back from his own injury. But I I think Olave is going to step in and be a a really solid 1B and maybe eventually be groomed to take over. But the thing that I think makes it even more perfect, um, if there is such a thing, is the fact that Chris Olave is used to playing off of other wide receivers. He, He could have been the bona fide number one guy at a number of other schools, but he shared the spotlight a little bit with Garrett Wilson, with JSN and some other guys previously. So I I think that he can work with other weapons and the saints have quite a few. Now you've mentioned they've got Alvin Kamara. He can do a lot in both the running game and the passing game. So, and I don't think Jameis Winston should be slept on. He, He was very good last year to your point. And at the very least, he is a, proven vet. Yes, he throws too many interceptions, but he loves to go deep. Chris Olave can be a deep target for him, whereas Michael Thomas is more of a underneath possession guy at this point in his career. And for all the interceptions and everything, he also throws a ton of touchdowns. He has a 5,000 yard passing season on his resume. So I think they've got an even better offensive setup than the Jets. And you couldn't really say that last year, that The Saints were not good on offense last year. A lot of that was due to the quarterback play and missing Michael Thomas. But to get all of these guys back, gosh, you know, I I could see Chris Olave having a thousand yard season in his rookie year if they throw the ball enough and Jameis Winston can cut down on the turnovers. I just think he's going to be solid immediately and just get better and better and better like we saw him do at Ohio State. Yeah, and it's a very similar dynamic between the two wide receivers than we saw at Ohio State. You touched on, you know, Michael Thomas being this guy who excels at getting the ball underneath, very similar to a guy like Garrett Wilson, who seems to be always open. He's always making catches, whether it be, you know, on a slant route, on an out route, you know, in routes, all these things underneath that help you pick up those first downs. And now you add Chris Olave to the mix as kind of that over-the-top threat, and it's very similar to what Ohio State was doing with Wilson and Olave. So it's kind of, you know, Ohio State at the next level, in terms of this Saints offense, you know, they also took uh, the offensive lineman Trevor Penning in the first round to help shore up that offensive line. So a lot of good things happening for the Saints on offense. And I do think, you know, I don't know if Olave is going to be wind up with a better season of the two because he probably has a, you know, at least a more established quarterback and an offense that has more weapons around him. But 
I really do love Olave to the Saints. And like you said, this was a pick that a lot of people kind of mocked up. Maybe it wasn't going to be something that happened. I think a lot of people expected Olave to go a bit later when the Saints were expected to pick originally. But to have him go number 11, side by side with Garrett Wilson, you know, seeing both of those guys decked out at the draft, looking fly, looking like a buddy cop movie with them two out there, <laughs> and getting to kind of greet each other on stage as they were drafted back to back was all just really cool to see. And I'm super happy for those guys and hopeful that they, you know, their careers both get off on the right foot. Yeah, just one more quick thing on Olave. I think there's a difference in expectations, too. I think that Garrett Wilson will likely be expected to come in and potentially be the number one receiver right away, whereas Chris Olave can play that that Robin role to Michael Thomas. So I, I don't think that's a detriment to either one of those guys, but I do think the expectations are going to be higher for Garrett Wilson. And hopefully that pressure doesn't get to him. I don't think that it will. I think Olave will have much more of a like comfortable learning curve because you've got a guy like Michael Thomas who theoretically could eat up 150 targets. I mean, his last healthy season played, he had 149 catches. So he can do things in volume. And then if you've got a Lave chipping in, I don't know, five catches a game, then I think you've really got something there. Yeah, for sure. And I, I think, you know, the difference, I think New Orleans fans are very obviously into their team, but uh, the New York media and stuff that, that Gary Wilson's going to have to deal with is a little bit different. So I think the expectations all around are, are much higher for Wilson than they are for Olave, but I think that both can can thrive in their respective roles. And I think had the roles been reversed, I wouldn't wouldn't love it as much. I think Chris Olave coming in with that immediate expectation of being a top guy would be a bit much, even though he has been that for quite some time at Ohio State. Uh, I think that the way that those two guys both landed where they landed is, is better for both of them. And I'm hoping that it works out for both. But moving on to the next guy, the next guy on offense and the next player to be selected for Ohio State was Nicholas Petit-Ferrer in the third round at the number 69 overall pick. Nice. Um, from reading around the Titans beat, it seems like there's a, a chance he'd start in 2022, but much more likely in 2023. Um, they think he could use a bit, a bit more time to develop. You look at their current setup, and, and Taylor Luan has been kind of their rock at left tackle, although he is over 30 now and hasn't played a full season since 2017. He tore his ACL in 2020, so a, a tough injury pass for Taylor Luan as he gets up there in age. Uh, their right tackle is a second-year guy in Dylan Raidens. Um so it'll likely be starting as a backup for NPF, but he could fill in for Luan if Luan is is injured once again. You know, his contract is up in 2023 as it is. So I think there's a road to a starting spot uh, for NPF on the Titans sooner rather than later. Um, but uh, but otherwise, you know, he seems really excited to play for the Titans. He's looking forward to blocking for Derrick Henry. He said he hopes to become best friends with uh, the Titans star running back. And so I'm excited for MPF. I think, you know, kind of went around where we expected in that third round. I think he's one of the, you know, he's not part of those elite, like, first-round offensive tackles, but he was definitely, uh, you know, the top of that second group of guys. And so I'm excited to see if he can earn himself a role there early on. But if not, I think he'll be a very solid, you know, kind of positional fill-in for either of those two guys if they need someone else to step in. Yeah, I don't want to pat myself on the back too much, but I did have NPF projected to go in the third round. Same for Jeremy Ruckert. I had Olave to the Saints. Granted, it was at 16. And I had Garrett Wilson going eighth instead of 10th. So, you know, again, not going to pat myself on the back too hard, but I like this spot for NPF. I, I do believe that there's a possibility he could start this year. The right tackle, Dylan Radens, I hope I'm saying that right, um, was decent last year, as far as I can tell, at right tackle. But I don't think that there's anything that, would dissuade the Titans from starting NPF if he just looks better during minicamp and all that good stuff. So, um, and if he doesn't start right away, you're right. He has an opportunity to sit and learn a little bit. And maybe he's the eventual successor to Luan, who's been there for a number of years. Like you said, I think that there's some versatility there that he could potentially play either side of the line. So uh, I would not be surprised if NPF is the Titans starting right tackle this year. And I also wouldn't be surprised if he's their starting left tackle sooner than later. We'll just see how that plays out. But obviously Mike Vrabel is familiar with NPF to a certain extent, targeted him for a reason. Uh, he clearly loves his Buckeyes and got another one on his roster or uh, another one might not even be the right way to say it. I don't know how many Titans are, or Buckeyes are currently on the Titans roster, but regardless, there is some familiarity there. And so I, I think that he landed in a good spot. I, I could have seen him slip, sneaking up to the second round, but 
NPF does have some things to work on, but he is also, he's got a pedigree. I mean, he was one of the top, if not the top offensive tackles coming out of high school in his recruiting class, uh, did nothing to kind of, you know, take away from that Ohio, at Ohio state. I think he was good in the time that he got an opportunity to start. So I think he'll have a long and fruitful NFL career, whether it's this year or in the not so distant future. Yeah. And, you know, I actually thought that MPF was was a really good value pick for where he was taken. I didn't love uh, the Titans draft overall. You know, the, one of the big trades of the draft was them, you know, moving A.J. Brown to the Eagles and then kind of drafting Traylon Burks as his replacement. And, you know, I, I like Traylon Burks as a prospect, but I don't I don't think he's quite at the level that A.J. Brown was, especially as a, a very well-established NFL wide receiver. They do still have Robert Woods there, but I thought that was kind of an odd move. They also took Malik Willis in the third round, Hassan Haskins in the fourth. Neither guy I am overly high on. And once again, that could just be my, you know, anti-Michigan bias on Haskins. But nonetheless, I, I think it is a good spot for NPF. And I thought it was one of their, uh, you know, one of their better draft picks. And like you said, you know, the the combination of having Vrabel there as a Buckeye, you know, they had previously uh previously hired Kerry Combs before he went back to Ohio State and is now at Cincinnati. So a lot of Ohio State connections there as well. I'm not sure they have any other Buckeyes currently on the roster, but, you know, I, I it could be like a team said, in transition, though, Gene. You know, you look at Tannehill, they drafted his potential replacement. Derrick Henry has a million miles on his tires. They traded A.J. Brown. Taylor Lewan's getting a little bit older. So I could definitely see a, a little bit of a youth movement for them. Not this year. They're not going to wave the white flag. They were a playoff team last year, but they do have to start getting younger at some point at some of these key positions. So NPF could be one of those first guys to see action for them, I think. Yeah, I certainly don't hate it. And moving on to uh, the other third round pick for Ohio State, we kind of briefly alluded to it earlier, but Jeremy Rucker to the Jets uh, joins Garrett Wilson in New York. He was the uh, number 101 pick overall, uh, kind of around where he was projected as well. Uh, like we said before, the Jets had a, had a good draft. Rucker went about where expected. The um, you know it, It's a really cool story for Rucker as a kid who grew up on Long Island, grew up a Jets fan. His family is all Jets fans. He gets to play for the hometown team, play for the team he grew up rooting for. Just a really, really cool story. His kind of career arc, not many guys make it from you know around my neck of the woods to play at a school like Ohio State and then go on to the NFL. So just really cool for him. Um, in terms of positional fit, the Jets did sign two tight ends this offseason. They signed C.J. Uzama from uh, Cincinnati. They also added Tyler Conklin from Minnesota. So I believe that Ruckert will probably start the season as the third tight end on the depth chart, but he could see the field a lot still because the NFL does use a lot of two tight end sets of things of that nature, and I think that um, Ruckert will be one of the better. You know, Uzama's a pretty good pass catcher. Uh, Conklin had a good year last year, but that kind of came out of nowhere. So I think Ruckert could be one of their better pass catchers at tight end, and, and for a young quarterback like uh, Wilson, then I think that he could be a valuable asset to him across the middle of the field. So I love the fit. Just, you know, if nothing else for the the great story of kind of the hometown hero aspect and getting to go play for the, the team he grew up rooting for. Yeah, I love the pick for him personally. I don't love the fit just because they did go out and get Uzoma and Conklin. But the good news for Ruckert is that, you know, neither one of those guys is a rock star by any means. Both have been injured um, recently and miss some time. So I do think that there is a possibility for him to earn some playing time this year. You know, I would almost guarantee that he earned some playing time this year, but I thought that there was an opportunity for Ruckert to come in as a tight end two for another team if they had picked him up. So that's why I don't love the fit because I do think that he could step in and be a starter right away or very soon. And maybe he still gets that opportunity, but it, it was a small little bit of a bummer to see him go to a team that had spent money on two other tight ends. But again, like NPF, I don't think that having other guys in the room or at the position would dissuade his team from putting him out on the field early if he looks good. We know that he can block. We know that he's a good pass catcher. He's an athletic guy. I would say he's certainly an athletic upgrade over either tight end that they signed. So he does have that edge in my personal opinion. So I could see him get out there, but he'll have some time. And if and when he does get out there, like we talked about previously with Garrett Wilson, there are a lot of weapons. There are a lot of balls that need to go around to some other guys. So it's not like he would come in and be expected to you know, catch 50, 60 balls right away. He'll have some time to, to learn and pick up the game. 
Yeah, and it wouldn't be overly surprising to see him maybe take over that tight end two role as the season goes on. You know, like I said, Conklin kind of had Not a break. Conklin kind of had a breakout year last year for Minnesota. So if he's unable to replicate that, it wouldn't be totally surprising to see Ruckert move up the depth chart. But I do think that you know maybe for a guy that didn't exactly get used a ton at Ohio State, it could be good for him to kind of start in more of that backup role, get a chance to ramp up to a more NFL workload. I think you know a year sitting as a backup, maybe potentially breaking through late in his first season or into his second season, could be really good for him. Uh, we know how good he could be as a pass catcher and he's he's solid in run blocking but I think that could use probably a bit more work at the next level so maybe a year at at less in the spotlight could be good for Ruckert but overall like I said kind of just you know like we both talked about the the fit is more less so of the on-field product and more so just the the storylines of a kid getting to to play for a a team that you know while they don't technically play in New York they do play in New Jersey um it is is the local team one of the two local teams that he and the one that he happened to grow up rooting for so an, an exciting pick and while he might not you know be the star of the Jets in year one I don't think that he'll have you know we won't have to wait long before we see Ruckert making plays for the Jets yeah, Gene, I wanted to ask you about him real quick, just because, you know, we see these NFL offenses and you mentioned a two tight end set, more of an inline blocker, probably that that 12 formation. But do you think that he's a guy that uh, the Jets could split out a little bit? We didn't see that very often at Ohio State, but we see that a lot in, in the pro game. You look at a guy like Travis Kelsey, Mike Gesicki, who are basically Maybe not so much Kelsey, but like Mike Kosicki he's basically a, a giant wide receiver. And I'm not saying Ruckert is that body type or even that skill set. But do you think that he could get flanked out a little bit and catch some balls that way? Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be totally surprised. I mean, I think they do have Uzama who could excel in that sort of role if they are looking to do something like that. But, you know, we've seen how good Ruckert is when his number is called. You know, he's had some of those huge games in Ohio State's biggest moments, a handful of of one-handed catches. He had the touchdowns against the two touchdowns against Clemson. He had the big game against Penn State. So, Ruckert always shine when the lights shine the brightest. So, to, you know, if they're going to find different ways to use him, a, a more athletic, like you said, not quite the the Travis Kelsey or of uh, okay, George Kittle uh, of the NFL, not quite at that level, but a very good and athletic pass catcher nonetheless. So I wouldn't be totally surprised to see the Jets uh, look to use him in that way. Moving on to the the next Ohio State of the, of the sixth Ohio State draftees, the next on the list, moving down to the fifth round, was defensive end Tyreek Smith, taken with the number one fifty eight overall pick. We talked in our our kind of preview of the draft of him being this sort of wild card NFL prospect. Uh, the fifth round feels about right for him, but he does have tremendous upside if he can put it all together. Um, you don't often see fifth round picks as day one starters, but looking at the the Seattle depth chart, it seems like he has a bit of a shot. You know, the defensive line in Seattle isn't exactly stellar. I mean, Puna Ford and Quentin Jefferson are solid at the tackle spots, but you don't have a ton at the ends. They did take Boy Mafe out of Minnesota in the second round, so he's one of your probable starters on the end. But behind him, there isn't much out there. You know, LJ Collier, Shelby Harris are the only other defensive ends on the roster right now. So with a good camp, it wouldn't be totally shocking to see Tyreek Smith earn a day one starting spot. And like we've talked about numerous times, it seems like Tyreek Smith has been on the edge of breaking out numerous times at Ohio State. And maybe, you know, the style of, of play and the NFL will, will suit him better and he's able to put it all together there. But, you know, it, it would be, you know, you don't often see guys that are drafted that late become instant impact guys. But I think that, you know, at, at his best, Tyreek Smith could be that guy. Yeah, and I went back and I looked, you know, read up on all these guys after the fact and read about team fit and everything like that. The Seahawks actually see him as a potential outside linebacker, which is something that he didn't do at Ohio State, obviously, but Seattle will be running a 3-4 base usually most of the time. And so I think that could really play to Tyreek Smith's strengths. We saw him as this pressure guy, maybe not maybe not the fastest uh, guy in the world, but he, he was the almost guy. We talked about that a number of times. He almost got to the quarterback. And so if you let him loose to do just that and kind of learn that new skill set, I definitely think that there's a chance that he could work into that rotation very early because you mentioned the guys maybe ahead of him on the depth chart, Boye Mafe, second round rookie. So you got to put them on similar footing and LJ Collier has been a a, kind of a total bust for them. So I I think that if Tyreek Smith can pick up the position of outside linebacker, it provides some versatility because if not, he can still try and get after the quarterback in a four down set. So they're going to try a lot of different things. It seems like with Tyreek Smith. And it's funny, I was reading about this and it, it sort of blew me away. Gene, did you know, 
that Tyreek Smith had a 20% pressure rate in each of the last two seasons. And in 2020, he actually finished second at his position in highest pressure rate. And that was according to PFF and the guy Corbin Smith. I want to give him credit. He covers the Seahawks for Fan Nation. I was sort of blown away by that stat. Like we knew that Tyreek Smith flashed at times, but I did not realize that he had gotten that much pressure with that much consistency. So again, if you put him in that outside linebacker position and let him focus on just the one thing, he has proven to be pretty successful at that, even if the sack numbers are not there. So, you know, in the, in the Seahawks too, are a team that is in a bit of a rebuild. They got rid of Russell Wilson and they're getting much younger on defense. Tyreek Smith is one of those guys. So he could be a sleeper. I look at Jonathan Cooper. Last year, the Denver Broncos drafted him and basically did the exact same thing. They turned him into exclusively an outside linebacker. And yeah, it was due to some injury, but Jonathan Cooper played a lot for the Broncos last year. He racked up 38 tackles, had two and a half sacks. So I could definitely see Tyreek Smith sort of replicating that plan and that production early on. Yeah, those pressure numbers are, are a bit surprising, but not really when you think about how, you know, what we saw from Tyreek Smith. It felt like every game we were talking about all the, the pressures he was getting, he just couldn't finish with the with the sack. So maybe putting him out there as more of that outside linebacker guy. We know the type of athlete he is, you know, at six foot three, two 265 pounds listed. He, he's a freak athlete. He's got a ton of speed. Maybe, you know, playing on a little bit, like standing up a little bit more could be potentially good for him. Um, but yeah, I think it's interesting. Like you said, the the Seahawks are getting uh, uh, younger on defense. I think they they had a really good draft overall. Um, you know, in the first round, they took Charles Cross, one of the big offensive tackles out of Mississippi State. They got Kenneth Walker out of Michigan State. We talked about Mafe. They also got uh, Kobe Bryant, the corner out of Cincy, as well as Bo Melton in the seventh round, the really solid wide receiver out of Rutgers. So overall, I thought the Seahawks had a really solid draft and a, guy, a bunch of guys even late with a lot of upside. And I think Tyreek Smith is definitely one of those guys. I am interested to see you know, how his NFL career pans out. He could be potentially one of those guys who is better at the next level than he was in college, but he also could be, you know, I think there is, you know, not, I wouldn't say bust potential because he's a fifth round pick, but there is a chance that, you know, maybe he just never does put it all together. Maybe he is just that pressures guy and maybe that works out for him at the next level, but maybe that just is the type of guy Tyreek Smith is. But I do think that there is still untapped potential there. I think he has a next level he could still get to, and hopefully the Seahawks can, uh, can bring that out of him. Um, Anything else on Smith before we move on to our, our final Ohio State draftee? No, I would have to agree with the fact that he's a bit of a wild card for me. I could see his career going either way, like you mentioned, but I would lean towards him eventually being productive or at least a rotational guy because everything you heard about him at Ohio State, hard worker, great teammate, this, that, and the other. So if he can get to the quarterback with some more regularity, then yeah, I, I see some good things potentially happening for him. Yes, sir. And, you know, we, we previewed seven guys in our Ohio State draft preview, but our, our sixth guy is our final Ohio State draftee, and we'll get to that in a minute. But that guy is Thayer Munford, taken in the seventh round by the Raiders with the 238th pick. Uh, we knew he was going to fall in the draft after last season, but this is a bit further than I had expected him being all the way down in the seventh round. Um, looking at the Raiders, they currently have a pair of former first-rounders at the tackle spots with getting uh, Alex Leatherwood out of Bama last year. They also have Colton Miller out of UCLA, who they took in 2018. Um, interestingly enough, the Raiders GM referred to Munford really as almost only a tackle, which is kind of what we thought is best for him when we talked about him in our preview. You know, he he played both at Ohio State. He does bring that positional versatility with him, but he is certainly much better at a tackle than he is at guard. Um, and from reading some stuff on what the Raiders are thinking about him, there is there does seem like there's a chance he could compete right away uh, at that right tackle spot with Miller. It seems like there's kind of a, an open competition there right now. Um, I'm not sure if the Raiders will look to use him at guard at all, but he does bring some of that versatility with him if they do need him in a pinch. If someone goes down, he could slide in there in, in an emergency spot. But I think a fully healthy Munford has every chance to be a starting tackle in the league. He's six foot five, he's 328 pounds with a ton of experience, and I think there's no reason he really shouldn't be able to make it happen if he could just stay on the field. I think that he's going to need some time, but after that, I would agree with you. You know, if he had come out after last year, he probably would have gone two, three, four rounds earlier. In my opinion, he was highly thought of as a tackle and then did the unselfish thing and moved inside. I'm with you and I'm with the Raiders. It's something that we've talked about before. I see Thayer Munford as more of a tackle and Alex Leatherwood was eh, okay 
for the Raiders. I don't think that his knee, his name is written in pen on their depth chart right now. And you never know what's going to happen with injury and all that good stuff. So I, I don't know if I see it right away, but I do think Thayer Munford can be successful in the NFL based on what we saw two years ago. And he's another guy, great teammate, hard worker. He wore the block. so, you know, his guys love him. And when you look at the rest of the depth chart, I mean, if he were to move back inside, John Simpson out of Clemson, if I'm not mistaken, was a draft pick a couple of years ago, and they picked up Dylan Parham in this draft. So they, they have youth there, but no first round picks outside of Miller and Leatherwood. So if, if Leatherwood specifically stumbles, maybe um, Thayer Munford earns a role there. But the fact that he has played both inside and outside will give him, in my opinion, a greater chance at eventually getting on the field. And we've seen it, or we just recently saw it with the Raiders, and this pertains to Alex Leatherwood. If you're not getting the job done, they're willing to cut bait. You know, they, they just declined the option on a trio of guys that they got in the same draft a couple of years ago, Josh Jacobs, uh, Cleveland Furl, and Jonathan Abrams. They declined the options on all of those guys. And granted, it's a fifth-year option, and these guys have played quite a bit for the Raiders, but a new regime. And so if these other guys in front of Munford are not getting it done, they may like him more than a seventh-round pick, and it just fell that way but they may want to push him into the lineup and kind of see what happens. Yeah, it's hard to project some of these offensive linemen because, like you said, we don't know what the current situations are, which guys are performing well in, in practice and whatnot, you know, which guys they're kind of high on, which guys are, are on their way out, things of that nature. The Raiders are an interesting team in general. You know, they had no first or second round picks this year. And for a team that's in a bit of a transitional state, that's obviously not what you want to see. Um, you did, like you mentioned, they did take Parm from Memphis in the third round. Uh, they got Zamir White, the running back out of Georgia in the fourth round. So kind of a, an okay draft overall for the Raiders, but without those top end picks it's kind of tough to start to rebuild the roster the way that they'd want to but you know a, a guy like Munford does bring a lot to the table I, I don't think they're going to look to use him at guard unless in an emergency situation I do think his his best the best thing for him and the best thing for the Raiders moving forward is to have him play tackle and whether that's as a backup or maybe a surprise start for him, even if he's, you know, maybe not fully ready, but he kind of gets a, gets thrown into the fire and learns on the go. I do agree with what you said, that he probably needs a little bit of time to adjust, uh, especially coming off a year when he did play mostly guard. Um, but, you know, it, it's it'll be interesting to see. I think both of Ohio State's tackles, you know, we've seen Munford and MPF both play at sort of an all-American level at Ohio State against some really good, you know, defensive ends. We saw a ton of, of defensive ends out of the Big Ten taken in this in the last year's draft, so... We know the type of competition they're going up against. They're going up against some of the best guys in the Big Ten and some of those guys that they'll see again in the NFL. So You know why he fell in the seventh round, though. Why? The Aiden Hutchinson clip. Uh, Yeah, that was was tough. That was a tough look. (laughs) That was nearly a career killer because they played it during draft weekend. I saw it a couple of times in the Aiden Hutchinson highlight uh, package. But in the rivalry, he blew him up bad. And so I think that if one play can have that much of an impact on a guy's draft status, that would be the one. So I think that's at least a small part of the reason that Munford fell, unfortunately for him. Yeah, and also probably a big part of the reason why Hutchinson went up the board. So, yeah. you know, very yeah. differing results for both those guys on that very specific play. But obviously, when you're making plays like that in the biggest rivalry in college football, and it's that, you know, it's hard to stand out on the line. But when that sort of thing happens, it's it's very glaring. So, yeah, I, I do agree with you there. That probably had some effect on him. I think the injuries obviously were the main reason, but I don't think that helped his cause in any way. But nonetheless, hopefully Munford could, could kind of have a chip on his shoulder as a seventh rounder, make something out of himself in the league. And we wish all of Ohio State's draftees the best. But the one guy that we kind of expected to be drafted, I, I think I was higher on him than you were, but Haskell Garrett, um, taken by the Titans as, a, as an undrafted free agent. Um, I think it's surprising to see him fall out of the draft entirely, but I do think the injuries took a really large toll on his stock. You know, we've seen him play at the highest level. He's a former All-American. Um, he'll get a chance now to earn a roster spot. He joins NPF in Tennessee, but... 
You know, it is tough. You know, Haskell Garrett's been through so much to stay on the football field alone. And, you know, he's still going to get a chance to chase his dreams in the NFL. And hopefully he does, you know, put some things together as an undrafted free agent and make that roster. I don't think Tennessee has a ton going on along the defensive line other than Jeffrey Simmons. So he might he has a pretty good chance, I think, as a, as a defensive tackle and kind of a swing guy to to make the roster in the end. But it does suck to see him not get taken in the draft at all after everything that he's been through. Yeah, I I totally agree, but I'm not shocked that he went undrafted because I think he came across as too small and too slow. You know, barely six foot, barely 300 pounds, did not have a great 40 time. So in the draft, especially in the later rounds, a lot of teams are looking for traits. Even if a guy doesn't have the greatest production, it's like, oh, hey, but he ran a 4-3-4-40 or he put up a ton of reps on the bench or he's got a vert or a three-cone drill. Thayer Munford really had none of that going for him. And I do think that that was at least partially due to the number of injuries that he kind of went through during his last year at Ohio State. You and I talked about it throughout the season. He never appeared healthy, always seemed like he was on a pitch count. And so... My hope for him is that he can get fully healthy and get an opportunity to prove himself. But then again, I look at the fit, the team that currently has him, you know, slated to be part of the roster, or at least in training camp, the Titans run a three, four, and I, there's no way in hell that Haskell Garrett is a three, four defensive end. And when you look at a, a nose tackle position, I don't think six foot, 300 pounds is getting it done. So Again, I hope that he gets an opportunity, but I think he's better suited for a team that runs a, a four down alignment. And if he you know, were to get cut early and catch on with somebody else, I like his chances a lot more. But we're talking about a guy who was shot in the face and came back and turned in an All-American season. So, yeah, I wasn't shocked that he went undrafted and I've kind of crapped on him a little bit. But if there's anybody who can prove me and others wrong, it's Haskell Garrett. So I, I like his future potential. I hope he gets an opportunity, but he's going to have his work cut out for him. That's for sure. Yeah, for sure. I think, like you said, if he, if he doesn't wind up catching on with the Titans, I think there's some team out there that could find use for him. And I don't think that, you know, his NFL career isn't going to just powder out before even getting a chance. I think he will at least get a get a spot on somebody's roster to start the season. And whatever happens from there is, you know, kind of on Haskell to grind it out and, and make a name for himself that way after, you know, coming off of all the, the injuries and maybe some lackluster play at the end of his career. But we've seen what he can be when he's playing at his best. Hopefully he could bring some of that out uh, at the next level. The only other um, guys for Ohio State, and we didn't preview these guys at all. They weren't guys we expected to be drafted, but it was Master Teague and Demario McCall. Uh, Master Teague being signed as an undrafted free agent with the Chicago Bears and Demario McCall being invited to the uh, Chicago Bears minicamp. Um, not a ton to say on these guys, but I do want to mention that I don't understand why the Bears seemingly hate Justin Fields and refuse to give him any oh, weapons man. on offense at all. Uh, the only wide receiver they drafted was Valus Jones out of Tennessee in the third round, who, um, as I've learned from Josh before the podcast, isn't the, the greatest wide receiver in the world. Um, there are other current He's wide receivers. He's also nearly my age. Yeah, not great. Uh, he's actually yeah, he's a year younger than me, I believe, so that's not what you want to see. I graduated multiple years ago. Uh, current wide receivers on the roster, Darnell Mooney, Byron Pringle, Equinemius St. Brown, and a few others. Um, so, you know, those are guys that you may have heard of, but they're not exactly stars out there. Uh, I do like that the Bears took Jaquan Brisker out of Penn State at safety, but that doesn't help the offense, and I am worried about what Justin Fields is going to be able to do with a lack of weapons around him. It is good to see, you know, Master Teague and Demario McCall get a chance with the Bears, but I don't think they exactly help out Justin Fields' case at the moment. No, I'm I'm actually a bit concerned for Justin Fields, not the player, and I'm definitely not concerned with his work ethic or his desire to get better, but I think that you could make a case that the Chicago Bears have the worst offense in the league outside of Justin Fields. I think that there are you know, I would put him in the top 15, 20 when you're talking about talented quarterbacks, but the rest of the offense is an unmitigated disaster. You know, you talked about his weapons. They've got David Montgomery, who's a good back. They don't have a great offensive line. And we saw the struggles last year. I, I'm really concerned that Justin Fields could get into year three and, you know, have people calling, calling him a bust. I, I won't be one of those people, but you know, let's let's just rail on the Bears for a little bit. They they let Allen Robinson walk. They did not address the wide receiver position 
you know, to any good extent. Uh, Byron Pringle is a guy, and we talked about Bayless Jones. He's 25 years old. He didn't put up great numbers at Tennessee. Who knows? Maybe he's the second coming of Randy Moss, but I doubt it. Um, the tight end position is eh, okay. They've got Cole Komet and some other guys, but the Bears offense is bad. And they can't just rely on the defense. We saw, you know, the, the record last year was not that great. So I, I have real legitimate concerns, but this is not a Bears podcast. This isn't necessarily about Justin Fields. I'll say this, though. I think that that team is such a dumpster fire that I am willing to bet right now that Master Teague makes the team. I'm willing to bet that oh, right no. now. That's not good. Yeah. That's not a good sign. And, you know, no disrespect to Master Teague, but that's not a good sign for the Bears. It, it might not be, but we saw his pro day. He turned out, you know, he put out a great film and great measurables during his pro day, lit it up during the 40. And you look at the rest of the Bears' depth chart at running back. They've got Khalil Herbert, who did some decent things for them last year. I think he ran for about 400 yards, but... He was a sixth round draft pick. They're not tied to him. And they also went out and they got uh, Darrington Evans. I think they may have picked him up towards the end of last year or pretty early on in the offseason. But that's a guy that the Titans drafted in the third round and gave up on real early. Uh, You know, and I know he was injured, but again, just another guy. So if Master T can kind of translate his athleticism and his pro day to the field, which we didn't always see. I think there's a real opportunity for him. And especially if he can do something on special teams, I, I, like I said, I'm willing to bet right now and we'll come up with the stakes later, but I think Master Teague's going to make this team in some capacity, even if it is a special teams gunner or something like that, just because of the dearth of talent that Chicago has. Yeah, and they do also have David Montgomery, who is okay. But yeah, like you said, you know, Khalil Herbert right now is probably their number one or number two guy. And he was a sixth round pick, a former Kansas product. Um, So not exactly an elite talent right now. And yeah, like you said, I think Master T could be an interesting NFL prospect. He's obviously a massive dude. I I think he's kind of a a throwback style of running back, maybe more of a a fullback that doesn't really exist anymore. But a guy you could kind of throw out there on the goal line to push the pile and and get a big touchdown on on the goal line. But yeah, you know, like you said, it's not a Justin Fields podcast, not a Bears podcast, but it does just stink to see a guy who was already fighting uphill because of like the, the stereotype around Ohio State quarterbacks, whether it's unfair or not. But a guy that's just a really special talent and he's not going to be put in a position to succeed on on this Bears team and we just saw it you know they just got rid of Mitch Trubisky it's the exact same thing but I think Justin Fields is 10 times more talented but Chicago just did it with Trubisky yeah, and obviously Justin Fields is, I, I think, a far better quarterback than Mitch Trubisky is, but nonetheless, mm-hmm. it is a very similar situation where you're just putting a quarterback out there who is you know, young and, and inexperienced in the NFL, and you're giving him no help out there, and it's just going to make him look bad, and I'm hoping that you know, whether you know, maybe, they move, maybe they move Justin Fields to a team that could actually use him and, and things work out for him, but I'm hoping that his career doesn't just get derailed because of the incompetence of the Chicago Bears. But nonetheless, hopefully Master Teague and Demar McCall both you know, have well, hey, something Gene- going on. When we move on to the last segment, I've got something for Justin. Just a little bit of foreshadowing there for you. I, I like what you're thinking, and I like what I'm hearing. There's there's two potential. We should probably just move on to that now because there's two potential things going on with the the Bears in that regard. But what Josh is alluding to is now that the, uh, the 2022 NFL draft is over, there is no better time than to pre- preview the 2023 NFL draft. Surely everything we believe now will be true come next year. Um, all the <laughs> players we think are good are going to still be good next year. And the, we've already basically, we know the draft order in 2023 as of this current moment, right, Josh? Yeah, I, I'm working on a, a an Ohio State-centric 2023 mock. It'll come out uh, when you're listening this listening to this today. Uh, we're recording on Tuesday. It'll come out tomorrow. Um, and, and yeah, I've got some names to kind of throw in here. And the Bears, I think, will be pleased to hear what I've kind of mocked and projected for them. Yeah, so before we get to some of what Josh is working on, I did see a tweet yesterday from PFF listing the current DraftKings odds to be the number one overall pick in the 2023 NFL Draft. 
Um, not surprisingly, not super surprisingly, the, the current favorite right now is C.J. Stroud at plus 200 to be the top pick in next year's draft. Right behind him is uh, Alabama quarterback Bryce Young at plus 225, followed by uh, Alabama defensive, defensive, like uh, more of a defensive end, linebacker, do-it-all guy for their defense. Will Anderson, a really, really good guy. He's listed at plus 330. And then somewhat surprisingly behind them, the next two highest odds are Paris Johnson Jr., uh, Ohio State offensive lineman at plus 1,000, and then Jackson Smith and Jigba at plus 1500 so you have three guys out of the the five listed uh in the odds for the top overall pick being from ohio state all on the offensive side of the ball um looks like 2023 is going to be a pretty fruitful year for ohio state in terms of the nfl draft i think that you know both stroud and jsn are almost assuredly top 10 picks i think they're both number one at their position even if they just have you know identical seasons they don't even have to have better seasons if they have identical seasons what they put up last year i think they're both surefire top 10 picks and then you have a guy like paris johnson jr who's very likely a first round pick as well as a handful of other guys we'll talk about. But, Josh, do you have any uh, any specific landing spots for those guys, maybe in Chicago for anybody I just talked about? I, I do. I'll hit a couple of the early ones. Um, and first and foremost, though, for next year's draft, I, I think that Will Anderson is the best college defensive football player I've ever seen in my life. And I, I, it'll depend on which team is picking first. But in the best way possible, he is a freak show. Um you know, he looks like you, you think of prototypical defensive ends and pass rushers, and he's not that. He does so much more. But when I think of defensive end, because Will Anderson had so many sacks and tackles for losses, the guys I think of are Von Miller and Miles Garrett as like the current prototypes. Miles Garrett is like this big, hulking monster, but crazy athletic plays a traditional 4 3 end. Von Miller is, uh, you know, just athletic beyond belief. He's got that crazy bend, that ability to uh, come off the edge is more of a three, four guy. Will Anderson is a linebacker. He is six, four, 240 pounds can play in the middle of the field, but then also get after the quarterback like crazy. So I, I don't want to go off on too much of a tangent. He's an animal, but for the, uh, you know, as far as Ohio state's concerned in those three early names that you mentioned, yeah, I think CJ Stroud is the number one guy off the board with the exception of maybe Will Anderson. Again, it kind of depends on which team is going, but I think CJ Stroud, NFL talent, talent evaluators should be really excited about what they've seen from him. You know, his accuracy is off the charts. He got better and better each game as the season went along. And so I think he could step in right away and, and be an NFL team's future franchise quarterback in this kind of article I'm doing right now. I actually had him projected to go number one, but I'm not going to give you the team because I want you to read my piece. As far as JSN, though, you got to tease. Yeah, but I will deliver on the JSN tease. I have him going fifth to the Bears. So a couple of things that tells you that the Bears are going to be terrible because they hate Justin Fields and I just don't see them being good. And it tells you the JSN is going to go really, really high. And we don't often see wide receivers go in the top five. We have, you know, Jamar Chase, my Bengals is, is a great example. But I think the JSN is that good because I think he can play inside or outside. And so I think that the Bears could be in a position to land him next year. And I have him going number five. I think that he would be a great security blanket for Justin Fields or any young quarterback because he can do so much with the ball in his hands, but he can also be a deep threat. And I think that, that would just be a match made in heaven. I know that those guys, there was some intersection uh, JSN's freshman year when uh, Fields was still at Ohio State. So you don't know how familiar they are with each other. JSN was further down the depth chart, but there's obviously some sort of relationship there. All these Ohio State guys come back and interact with each other. So it would be sort of like a Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase-esque relationship for those guys. Not nearly as fruitful as at the college level, but again, they know each other. And so I think that could really happen. And as far as Paris Johnson Jr. goes, I think that he could definitely go in the first round. I do have that in the piece that I'm working on, but top five, top 10 seems very rich, um, you know, too expensive for me, in my opinion, just because we haven't even seen him play tackle in college. Maybe he kind of filled in for a, a, a short period of time, 
but we have never seen him as a starting left tackle for the Buckeyes. So I think that his potential is through the roof. I think his ceiling is super, super high, but I got to see it first. So I, I definitely think that he has first round potential right now. I have him going sort of in the middle, kind of like um, around the 20 range. And I think he could definitely work his way up, but I'm not quite there yet. Yeah. And I, I think for Paris Johnson Jr., you know, coming into Ohio State, I think there was a lot of um, Orlando pace comparisons. And that's kind of an unfair thing to throw on a kid, even though he is a five-star prospect. But, you know, I, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not expecting Paris Johnson Jr. to quite be the next Orlando pace, but that is the kind of comparison he was getting as a prospect. And now we will finally get to see him at his natural position at tackle. So, you know, if he's even a little bit as good as Orlando pace, I think we'd certainly take it. Um, yeah. Other other big names potentially in the draft for OSU, and you can maybe chime in on any of these guys, or if you have other guys you want to talk about, just some names I'm going to throw out there as guys who will be eligible for the draft and, and bigger names on this Ohio State roster. Um, a guy like Dewan Jones I've seen with some first-round mocks. Um, in the secondary, you'll have both Ronnie Hickman and Josh Proctor. Uh, Anton McAllister, all eligible. Um, Zach Harrison will be eligible. Steel Chambers, Noah Ruggles. Uh, Julian Fleming will be eligible. I'd be interested to see how that one plays out. But do you have any other guys that specifically that you wanted to touch on is in terms of you know draft prospects for 2023? Yeah, for sure. And I want you to kind of push back on any of these or you let me know if you agree. So the other potential first rounder I have, which would give the Ohio State Buckeyes four, is Dewan Jones. Um, first year starter last year, I think he played really, really well. I think he's better in the run game than he is pass blocking, but he'll get another year to work on that and develop. And the one thing you can't coach is 6'8", 360. Right. He is a mountain of a man, but he is an athletic one at that. So I had him going kind of towards the end of the first round, but I do think he can work his way into that conversation again, just because he's still sort of raw. And I think he's going to be better this year learning from Justin Fry and the size definitely comes into play. So what do you think about the one Jones? Do you think he could be a first round guy? Yeah, and, and Dewan Jones is really an incredible story. You know, a guy that was kind of a, a nothing prospect, kind of a, a developmental piece that they took on just because of his pure size. And he's he's played his way into becoming a really important piece of this Ohio State offensive line. And I could certainly, you know, with the way he's been coached up at his size, especially with the athleticism he has for a guy that's built like a mountain, I could certainly see an NFL team being very interested in a guy like him and him making his way into the first round with another really solid year for Ohio State. Um Kind of putting on the spot here a little bit, just as I'm thinking out loud, I didn't write anything down on this, but are we going to see a second consecutive year with Ohio State not having a first-round pick from the defensive side of the ball? You know, I'm looking at some of the names that are going to be eligible. You know, maybe with a big year out of Josh Proctor, he could slide into the late first round. Maybe we finally see a jump out of Zach Harrison that gets him into that late first round. I don't think Steel Chambers is going to be a first-round pick at linebacker. Um, Is there anybody you're really seeing, or is it going to be another year where we see this Ohio State defense, even if they are a little bit better, um, that Ohio State doesn't have a defensive prospect taken in the first round? So good news and bad news. You know, I think it's definitely a possibility, but I don't currently have any Buckeyes being taken in that 2023, you know, Josh mock that I'm doing. But I will say that I've got Zach Harrison and Ronnie Hickman pegged as second round guys. I think that Zach Harrison, you know, if you look at this time last year, he was being talked about, or I guess this time last year, plus a week, two weeks, whatever it was. Um, he was being talked about as a potential first round draft pick. And he came back or well, he didn't come back. He spent his junior season kind of, I don't want to say going through the motions. I, I don't think that's fair at all. He was up and down. That's fair. Let's put it that way. He was up and down. He had a couple, um, you know, flashy moments, but the production was just not there. That being said, I think that he can do a lot of things under Jim Knowles and in this new defense. I think that right now he's kind of pegged as that traditional defensive end and he is up to 270 pounds, but I think that he could play a little bit of that Jack role and that gives him some, ver some versatility. That means he can get after the quarterback in a four down set or possibly as a three, four outside linebacker. I truly think that he could fill either one of those roles. And if he gets to play that Jack, we'll see a little preview of that this year. Now he'll have competition. You know, we've got JTT, Jack Sawyer, even of a Jav Javante John Baptiste and other guys. So 
I think Harrison will be part of a rotation wherever he plays. But if you look at um, like past Alabama players, they have had guys that played as part of a rotation, showed potential, didn't always put up crazy numbers, but still got drafted in the first round, especially along the defensive line. So I think Harrison has an opportunity or a chance to kind of sneak into the first round. But right now I have him as a second rounder. And the same thing goes for Ronnie Hickman. He's not the fastest guy in the world, but you're talking about a safety who led the Buckeyes in tackles last year. I think that he will get an opportunity to show different parts of his game under Jim Knowles. I I see him being more of a playmaker than he was last year. Last year, he was a a cleanup guy and, and supported pretty well in the run game. I hope and I think that you'll see some some action for him in the passing game as well. So if he can show himself to be a playmaker, you know, right now I've got him in the at, at the end of the second round. But who knows? We've got an entire year, an entire season to go. And so um, who knows with Hickman? I'm not sure about the other guys, but uh, but no, currently I do not have another Buckeye going in the first round from the defense, but I do have some additional kind of mid round guys. If you wanted to get into that, I I don't know what other feedback you have specifically on Harrison and or Hickman. No, yeah, I, I think that, you know, if Ohio State's going to get back in the first round on defense, I think we're looking at the 2024 draft. You know, obviously we'll have both uh, Jack Sawyer and J.D. Tumaloa both eligible at that point. You'll have guys like uh, Denzel Burke, Jordan Hancock, J.K. Johnson, all those guys will be draft eligible. Um, so I think that if, if, you know, once Ohio State is, you know, now with Jim Knowles on the fold, I think you'll start to see Ohio State get get better and better on defense as the years come by. But I do think that it's going to be another, I'm not going to say down year for their defense as a whole, but in terms of NFL draft prospects, I think we're kind of, you know, I, I, it would be, it would have to take a really good season for, especially with how bad Ohio State's defense has been the past few years. It would take a really standout season for a guy to maybe crack that first round. But I do think they have some interesting prospects across the board, um, whether they be, you know, in the first round or not. I think a guy like, you know, a Josh Proctor or, um, you know, guys up front, maybe a Zach Harrison, if he finally, you know, Zach Harrison's an interesting prospect because he's so athletic and he's so big. It's very similar to uh, a Tyreek Smith that, you know, he could kind of do a little bit of everything, but he hasn't quite put it all together yet. So maybe a really good year out of him, you know, playing in a bit of a different role. If they play him in that Jack Leo role, um, we could see more out of him. But yeah, I, I don't think Ohio State has much coming on the defensive end. I think much more of their of their prospects this year, at least their high end ones are going to be on the offset offensive side of the ball. I agree with that. And just to kind of put a bow on it with some of the other mid-round guys I had projected or I have projected right now. Interestingly enough, I have Tanner McAllister as the next guy off the board, potentially in 2023. Um, I, I know he has not been a superstar. I think some of that is due to the fact that he plays at Oklahoma State, but they can still be all Americans and, and all conference guys. I, I just look at the current landscape of things and Coverage safeties are in high demand. Guys who can play in the slot as a nickel, they're in high demand. So I think that Tanner McAllister is going to get additional exposure this season, obviously playing for Ohio State. And I think if he has a good season and makes some plays, I, I could see him pushing his way up towards, you know, the third round. That's where I have him going right now. I, I think we're going to be surprised by McAllister. And then, you know, as for Proctor, I think the, the swing could go wildly either way for him. Um, He has flashed when he's been healthy. Obviously I think last year was supposed to be his coming out party. He missed most of the season due to his injury. He's going to have to work his way back and, and we haven't seen anything from him in a while, but you know, I, I think he can play free. I think he can play strong. He's a hitter. Uh, he loves to come down and support the run. So I have him, again, as another mid-round guy. I have him going into fourth. But I wouldn't be shocked if he jumped up to, I, I don't know about first, but I could see him being a second or third rounder easily just because of what we have seen from him so far. And another guy, I wasn't sure what to do with Cam Brown. I... It's weird because I actually think that he gets jumped this year. We've talked about it. I think that Jordan Hancock eventually becomes CB2. But if I'm wrong, you know, Cam Brown was solid last year. And I wonder if there is 
an opportunity for him to kind of do the the reverse seven banks. Uh, I have Cam Brown right now projected as a fifth round pick, and I'm not saying he's going to jump all the way to the first round, but if he puts some good film out there and makes some plays for Ohio State, I wonder if he can creep his way up to more second, third round territory. Because again, he was solid last year. You know, he he came off the field due to injury, not due to play. And I think that had he been healthier, Ohio State's secondary would have been just a little bit better. So I think that there's going to be a lot of talent that comes out of this secondary eventually. I, I just don't know where it's going to fall. Gene, what do you think? Yeah, you know, I, I think it's interesting because, you know, we look at this year's draft and Ohio State's first defensive player off the board was Tyreek Smith in the fifth round. So I think any improvement on the defense at all, you'll start to see some guys in the second, third, fourth round. And it might be a little late for some of these guys because of the defenses they've played on, whether it's fair to them or not. You know, I think that is, you know, with Ohio State's defense being as bad as it was, I think they will have to take that into account when they're scouting for the next level. But I think it'll be an interesting year for Ohio State's DBs specifically, you know, with the three safeties on the field playing only probably two corners and like a nickel safety corner hybrid. I think that maybe it'll play into some of those guys' strengths. And you look at guys like Cam Brown um, potentially being jumped on the depth chart, but maybe, you know, he finds a bit of a role in maybe that slot role or maybe he just plays, you know, he splits, car- uh, not splits carries, he splits snaps with someone else in defensive backfield and maybe that works out better for him. But, you know, I, I, he's an interesting guy. He's a guy that at one point we thought was, or, you know, was rumored to be the fastest guy on Ohio Ohio State's roster and so a prospect like that you know he was he had the year last year coming off the Achilles injury maybe this year he's a lot faster we kind of saw the way that that has impacted other players and kind of that extra year after the Achilles injury you come back a little bit faster and I think that could help him out in the long run as well but yeah you know I think it's interesting the year for Ohio State's defense as a whole Hopefully we see that play out in the draft, but I really think that, you know, once again, uh, I do think Ohio State's defense is going to be better as a whole, but I think that it's still going to be another year, at least in terms of NFL draft success, where you're looking at mostly guys on the offensive end, guys like C.J. Stroud, J.S.N., guys along the offensive line and, and things of that nature. And I think we still have, you know, we have a lot of time, you know, Trayvon Henderson won't be draft eligible yet, so we'll still have at least another year of him. A lot of these other wide receivers currently on the roster still have at least one or two years left. So a lot of the, you know, the mainstays on Ohio State's roster will still be here after 2023 but there is a lot of interesting names, guys who could really play themselves up on the draft board this year with some you know, personal or individual performances that, that stand out. For sure. And I, I think if we're looking at just the defensive side of the ball, I, I would almost go as far as to guarantee that Ohio State defensive prospects are going to be held in much higher regard for next year's draft than they were this year. Because, I mean, gosh, who it's going to be tough. To, it's it's going gonna, it's gonna to be tough to be worse. So, <laughs> so I, I think that's a positive, and you know that's not a knock on the guys. It's not a knock on Haskell Garrett or or even a Zach Harrison who ended up going back to school. It's just the defense was sort of a mess last year, and I think it'll be much better organized. I think you'll see that in the results and in the play. And so I think Ohio State's defense, whether you want to call them. Uh, you know, best in America, silver bullets, whatever. I think that a lot of those guys are going to bounce back and be, like I said, held in much higher regard moving forward. I hope, knock on wood, right? Yeah, I think having actual coaches on that side of the ball this year will certainly help out in that regard. And I think that, you know, as well as individual guys, maybe taking that next step in their careers combined with that better coaching, I think it all leads to better defensive performance for Ohio State as a whole, but also better draft positioning for some of those guys that are looking to to up their stock heading into 2023. But nonetheless, before we try to, you know, mock out the entire 2023 draft before a single snap is played in 2022, <laughs> um, I think it's a good time for us to wrap things up. So be sure to check out all of our content, our written content over at landgrantholand.com. Uh, we will be back with you guys next week next week to talk about whatever else is going on with Ohio State stuff. I think in the in sometime in the next coming weeks or months, I do want to do kind of a team-by-team team preview of the Big Ten schools. So as we kind of reach a, a bit of a dearth of content when it comes to other things, I think we'll probably look to do some of that stuff. But we'll have all different kinds of content to keep you going throughout this Ohio State offseason. Be sure to uh, like, rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff you do with all your other podcasts. And for Josh Dooley, I am Gene Ross. And as always, go Bucks. Go Bucks.